I wake in the night with a sudden, piercing sense of panic. It takes a few moments while my conscious mind resurfaces from sleep to realise what is disturbing me. It is what Mr Y said in the witness box, the lies he told, the way he tried to befuddle the jury with nonsense, his claim that he and B didn't really have vaginal sex, even though when he was arrested and charged with oral and vaginal rape he did not dispute that both events had occurred. And then I am suddenly aware that it is not just what Mr Y said that is haunting me. It is also that question from a juror, asking why there was no bleeding if B had never had sex before. It strikes me that this question is not about not believing B, but it is a question designed to support Mr Y's version of events. He says they didn't really have vaginal sex, and this juror is inclined to believe him because, if B was a virgin, she would have bled, and if she didn't, that means sex didn't happen. I lie in bed, my heart beating as if I'm running a marathon. It occurs to me that there would be an easy way to disprove Mr Y's assertions. The police have the swabs and samples from the rape kit, and all the evidence collected during B's six-hour examination at the Haven Hospital all those months ago. These would surely show evidence that vaginal sex did take place, but the samples have never been analysed because they didn't need to be. The police caught Mr Y. He admitted he was the person involved. He knew from the outset that he was facing two charges – one of rape by oral penetration and one of rape by vaginal penetration. His prepared statement did not refute either of these charges, and as he gave a no-comment interview, at no point pre-trial has he made the claim that vaginal sex didn't happen. He's throwing it out there in court, knowing it's too late for anything to be done about it, too late for the samples to be analysed and used in evidence against him. When I speak to the police officers about this later, they say there is nothing to be done. The trial is underway and they can't produce new evidence now, even if it were possible to get the samples looked at in such short notice. It seems obvious to me that this should be pointed out to the jury, and it is clear from what the police say that it won't be. Yet another way in which the defendant holds all the cards. And then yet another thought occurs to me. I get out of bed and stumble around my room in the darkness, fumbling through the pile of papers on my desk to find the CPS What is Consent document. I take it downstairs where I turn on the light so I can read it, though I practically know it by heart, I've looked at it so often. It says, In investigating the suspect, it must be established what steps, if any, the suspect took to obtain the complainant's consent, and the prosecution must prove that the suspect did not have a reasonable belief that the complainant was consenting. Mr Y has neatly circumvented the issue of how he knew B was consenting by turning the whole thing on its head, and insisting that B initiated sexual activity, and moreover, that she was the one who forced him. What a complete and utter bastard. On the way to court, I sit on the tube and go back over my notes. I realise that I was so busy concentrating and writing down everything I could actually hear that I've missed some key points. After the attack, B sent Snapchats to her friends. All of them opened the message and read it. They started to contact her, asking her if she was okay, asking her to let them know she was safe, asking her to call them. They also communicate between each other, asking if anyone has heard from B, if anyone knows what happened. One friend, Zara, writes, she's not answering calls or texts and I'm worried. Then another friend, Tabby, the one who B has since visited at uni in Liverpool, gets hold of B. B tells her, something happened. When Tabby asks her what, B replies, he made me do something. He made me have sex with him. 
Whilst we were in A&E on the night, a third friend, Cat, was in contact with B. B tells her, Someone called Baby keeps calling me. I think it's him and I'm scared. Cat replies, The police should have his number so they can lock him away. In all the stress and constant interruptions of the court case, I had missed the details of these messages. Telling a friend that someone made her have sex with him is not consent. Also, and crucially, the defence tried to insinuate that Nikki, the young woman who found Bee after the assault, had put words in Bee's mouth about the fact that she had been raped. But these Snapchat conversations were from before Nikki came on the scene, refuting that allegation. But do the jury know this? Does the timeline in their jury bundles make this clear? This is the problem with everything in court being out of sequence. It's up to the jury to be able to work out what actually happened and in what order. When we arrive at the court building today, our vicar, Margot, is waiting for us. She is joining us today for moral support. She has known our girls for all of their lives. They were christened in her church and confirmed by her. Margot is a wonderful person, and even for those who are not overly religious like me, just being in her presence is calming and reassuring. She has a deep belief in the power of prayer, and has been praying for Bee since the day of the attack. I'm grateful for that. After all, whether one believes or doesn't believe, it can't hurt, can it? The prosecution is going to cross-examine Mr. Y today, but for some reason, before this happens, the judge asks for some voice notes that B sent to her friends in the immediate aftermath of the attack to be played. Remember that Mr. Y has stated that B was completely happy when he had finished with her, and that he made a video call to his cousin, in which his cousin saw B and can affirm that she was, indeed, completely happy. The cousin has not come to court to corroborate this story, but nevertheless, when being questioned by the defence yesterday, Mr. Y mentioned this video call several times. You will also remember that he insisted that there was a CCTV camera on the nursery school that would prove his innocence, and implied that the police's failure to produce this evidence was in order to stitch him up. The voice notes are played. They are harrowing in the extreme. B sounds like exactly what she was, a terrified, vulnerable young girl, alone in the dark, barely able to speak she's so traumatised. Her voice is a high-pitched wail, and at times it's hard to work out what she's saying. But parts are crystal clear. I don't know what happened. I don't know what to do. I'm scared and I want to go home. I don't know what to do. For the first time in the court, I start to cry. I can't bear to hear my daughter like this, so scared, so alone. I should have been there and I wasn't. But more than that, this monster should not have done what he did. And if he gets away with it, I don't know how I'll come to terms with it. I quickly try to dry my tears. The judge has told us that we must not show any emotion while sitting in the press gallery or she will ask us to leave. But how could any mother listen to that and not react? Nevertheless, I must pull myself together, and I do. The next thing that happens is DC Megan Wade is called back to the box. The judge asks her to address the question of CCTV that Mr. Y continually raised. Megan details the search she and a colleague made for cameras in the vicinity and indicates their location on the map that the jury has. The only camera found to be working was the one on the school that caught Mr. Y getting off the bus, crossing the road and waiting at the opposite bus stop, then following B at pace when she walks off alone. 
The others were all either dummies, not working, or not actually CCTV. The one that Mr. Y keeps harping on about is an ANPR camera, which photographs car number plates, and that's it. Hopefully, this will shut down that aspect of Mr. Y's lying. Now we have to wait to hear what he says under cross-examination, and this is also when we, and the jury, will get to hear those ten comments from the day when Mr. Y sent Miss X to our street to track B down. What will they reveal? All we can hope is that this evidence is enough to sway the jurors in our favour.